Well, we're in this series. We're asking questions that Siri can't answer. And last week we began by talking about some questions about Jesus, and we're going to continue part two, some questions about Jesus. And maybe the most common and emotionally charged question these days about Jesus is, is Jesus the only way to heaven? I mean, it had to be the most politically incorrect statement Jesus ever made. He said it in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it's kind of interesting. The word that Jesus uses for way is the same word for road. And so it could be translated either way. It could be translated, I am the way, or I am the road. So here's essentially what happens. Jesus says, I am the one-way road to heaven. The only way to get to God is to take me. And that's a pretty controversial statement, especially these days, because this isn't the sign that most people would use to describe their religious beliefs or their convictions or the way to get to heaven. I want to show you a few other signs that I think describe how people feel about the road that leads to heaven. Here's one sign. It's a, it's a merge sign. You've seen these before. It's where one lane merges into another. And I think that describes how a lot of people feel about their faith, where all religions are ultimately leading to the same place. And it doesn't really matter what path you're on because they're all, they all lead to God, that, that all religions have an equal claim on the truth and that they all merge together that all religions are leading up the same mountain to God. There's different paths to the top. It doesn't matter which one you pick. You just got to pick one. And the idea for this is called pluralism. And pluralism is the idea that all religions are basically true, that all paths lead to God. It doesn't matter which of these you choose as long as you sincerely follow one. And a lot of people believe that these days. In fact, there was a survey done entitled, What Americans Believe. And 64% of Americans said they believe that when Christians and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and people of other faiths pray, that they're all just praying to the same God. But I guess I have some questions about this merge idea, that all paths lead to God. Because if all religions are equally true and everybody's just worshiping the same God, then it seems to me that, that God just me, must be a little bit confused or at least a little schizophrenic. Because God told Muhammad that everybody needed to make a pilgrimage to Mecca, but he told Jesus that it doesn't matter where you worship. It just seems like God's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, so, so which one is it? And God told Christians that it's fine to eat meat, so why would he tell Hindus that eating meat is immoral? And if God told some religions, which apparently he did, that it's okay to dominate women, but he told other faiths like Christianity that there's an equal partnership, what do we do? Or what about slavery? Some religions teach that it's okay to own slaves. How could they have gotten that same teaching from the God who taught in other religions, including Christianity, that it's wrong to discriminate against people? So which one is it? How can one God give all these different messages? Or think about the afterlife. That's probably the most compelling argument for me. 
How can you say that all religions lead to the same place when they don't even want to lead to the same place? Because some religions teach nirvana. Some religions teach that you die and that's it. That you're, when your candle burns out, that there, there's nothing more. And then Christianity teaches that there's a place called heaven. And so, which is it? And the idea these days is all religions are basically the same face. It's just different mask that you put in front of it. It's kind of like a spiritual buffet where you grab your tray and you walk down and you get a bowl of Islam and you get a side of New Age. You get a slice of Buddhism. You get a little bit of Scientology, but not too much. And then you get a scoop or two of Christianity and you say, that, that will satisfy me. It really doesn't matter what I put on my plate because all roads lead to the same place and eventually they all lead to God. Now, many people believe that, but there's a lot of other religions and a lot of other beliefs that would use a different sign that best leads to God. Do you guys know what this sign is? It's a minute work sign. And the way you get to heaven, the path that leads to God is the path of works. If you get to God, it's because you, you work your way there. In fact, I think this is where Christianity is different than every other religion. Almost every other religion teaches that you must do something to get to heaven, to make yourself right with God. So you've gotta pray five times a day, or give alms, or fast, or take a pilgrimage, or use a prayer wheel, or you can't eat certain foods, or you must observe the Sabbath, or seriously, like a thousand other possibilities. And if you do these things, then maybe you'll earn your way to nirvana, or heaven, or God, or whatever it is that religion believes. But Christianity believes that Jesus Christ is God's attempt to reach out to us. Jesus taught just the opposite. That it wasn't about anything we can do. But, but there's something in us, though, that says, yeah, that makes sense. That at the end of the life, our lives will be put on the scales, and if we've done more good than bad, then we're in. And yet the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus says there's no way that you can earn your way there. It doesn't matter how hard you work, so you might as well stop trying and start trusting in him. I heard one person explain it this way. He said, think of two different words, do and done. Because all other religions teach do. You gotta do this and this and this and this. But Christianity says you can never do enough. And you don't need to. Because it's already been done for you. Because Jesus Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a perfect and sinless life and he went to the cross to pay for the sins of this world. And I don't know if you remember this, but right before he died, he said this, it is finished. In other words, I've paid for it. It's taken care of. This ends it. He paid the price. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. In fact, I understand that this distinction between do and done is really seen when you compare some of the stories that are told in different religions. 
For example, there's a story told in Eastern religions that's very similar to a story we find in the Bible that we know as the prodigal son. Now, these two stories start off alike. In both stories, there is a young man who is the son of a rich father. He rebels against his dad. He goes off into a distant land, and he spends all his money on partying and having a good time until there's nothing left. And both of these stories are the same. That, that the young men, they want to make things right. They, they want to come back home. They want to be reconciled to their fathers. So Christianity and this Eastern religion, they, they start off very similar, almost identical. But then they take very separate paths. Because the story told in the Eastern religion, when the young, young man goes back home and he wants to reconcile with his dad, his dad first makes him pay a penalty for his misdeeds, and he makes him spend years in solitude serving him by shoveling excrement. But what happens in the Christian story is very different. The prodigal son comes home. And instead of forcing him to kind of work off his past mistakes and, and to try to earn his way back into the father's favor, the Bible tells us that, that the father, when the son was still a long way off, he ran to his son. And he wrapped his arms around him and he embraced him. He said, let's have a party and let's celebrate. For the son of mine was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. That's a big, big difference. The Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. The Bible teaches you can't work your way there. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Truthfully, the sign that describes the path that most people are on would be this one. It's a wrong way sign. I mean, there, there's just something about saying that that, that, that makes me uncomfortable. To, to tell someone else that the path that they're on is the wrong path. We're, we're taught that we should, we should accept and tolerate what, what anyone believes. And that one belief is as good as another. And so for us to say, hey, this way that you're going is the wrong way, the way that you're going isn't going to get you into heaven, that, that's, it just sounds intolerant. I don't know if you heard about the joke of the absent-minded man who was driving down the interstate. His wife called him up on the cell phone, and she said, John, there's, there's, I just saw the news, and, and there's a car driving down the wrong way on I-69. Please be careful. And John says, honey, it's not just one car, it's all the cars. <laughs> and it can be hard to convince someone that they're going the wrong way. Bob Russell points out that under the Constitution, all religions are equally protected, so people are free to believe whatever they want. But some people have interpreted this to mean that not only that our religious beliefs are equally protected, but that they're all equally valid. Therefore, to claim that my religious beliefs are exclusively true and to say that other people's religious beliefs are not, in our culture today, that, that makes you exclusive. It makes you unconstitutional, maybe even un-American. But listen, while our Constitution protects anyone who expresses an opinion, it doesn't say anything about which opinions are true or correct, which ones are questionable or wrong. And because 
all, and just because all religious beliefs are equally protected, and listen, I'm so glad that they are, it doesn't mean that all of them are equally true or valid. In fact, if you think about it, all religions can't be true because truth, by definition, excludes that which contradicts it. Different religions have competing, mutually exclusive claims. And so just logically thinking, they can all be wrong, but they can't all be right because truth, by definition, excludes that which contradicts it. And if you believe what Jesus says is true, then you have to think what contradicts his statements are not true. But today, to tell someone that they're going the wrong way, it's hard to do. It's, it's hard for them to hear. It's hard for us to say. A lot of it has to do with this big core value of our day of tolerance. And, and I'm all for tolerance. Tolerance is a great word if you think of it in terms of accepting and loving people whose beliefs and behaviors are different than yours. I'm all for that. Jesus, he's the one who set the ultimate example of this. Jesus, as a Jew, spoke freely and respectfully to a Samaritan woman. He shared meals with a tax collector. He even touched lepers. All of these things would have been taboo for a Jewish man in those days. He healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman. And he came to the aid of a woman who was caught in bed with a man who was not her husband. And so he was constantly loving and accepting towards people whose beliefs and behaviors he didn't agree with. But he never sacrificed truth for tolerance. And so he told the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, go and leave your life of sin. And that's the kind of tolerance we need, where we're loving and accepting towards people who are different than us, but it doesn't mean that we agree or we endorse everything they do. But the definition of tolerance these days is your beliefs and my beliefs have an equal claim on the truth, that all truth is relative. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you sincerely believe it. And Josh McDowell points out that under tolerance these days, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is often going to be labeled as discriminatory. I mean, if you tell someone that they're going the wrong way, it can make you a religious bigot or a spiritual discriminator. That's why in Pennsylvania there was a young student who was sent home because he had written, Jesus loves you, on his lunchbox. And there was a high school student in Texas who was told if he was going to have an after-school Bible club that he had to omit the words Jesus and Bible uh, from the description. And I suppose if there were going to be a motto for what a lot of people believe today, it would be live and let live. Just do your deal and don't worry about anyone else. But love cannot just ignore the truth. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said he is the one way, the one way road to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A few years ago, I went with one of our youth ministers to a local public high school, and uh, he was invited to speak to the class on what Christians believe. It was a Friday, and this was the day that they were talking about Christianity. 
But the other four days, they were talking about different religions. And so on Monday, it was Islam. Tuesday, it was Buddhism. Friday, it was Christianity. And things were going pretty good. The students were listening. Everything was going well. Until this youth minister, his name was Cole, he quoted John 14, verse 6, and he said the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And when he said that, the teacher standing behind him was in utter disbelief. She couldn't believe what he said. And some of the students began to become visibly angry at that comment. Uh, one student raised their hand and said, hey, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore because they say all other religions are wrong. Now, there was one female student who was particularly upset. She stood up, she raised her voice, and she said, who are you to say that there's only one way to God? Well, those feelings that those students had and those, that teacher had to say that that we were prejudiced or, or somehow intolerant or arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, a lot of people would agree with that. But what do you do? Acts 4.12 says it so clearly, that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so is it intolerant? Is it arrogant? Is it exclusive to say that Jesus is the only way? I'm guessing those are questions that you've probably dealt with. I'm sure that you'll hear from other people. And so I want to touch on those real quick. First, it's not intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way because it's based on evidence. When both of our sons were born, uh, the doctors came in and told us that they had developed jaundice. Maybe you know what jaundice is. It's a liver disorder that causes the whites of the eye and the skins to turn very yellow. Well, the doctors told us that this was a potentially devastating disorder, but fortunately, there's a very easy cure for it. All you have to do to cure jaundice is to put ba a baby under this special ultraviolet light. And the skin absorbs the light and it stimulates the liver to start functioning properly. That's how you cure jaundice. That's all there is to it. But what if Tara and I, after hearing this, would have responded to the doctor by saying, hold on, hold on, wait, wait a minute. That sounds too easy. Put him under a light? That, that's ridiculous. How about we just scrub him really hard with soap? Well, what if we just dipped him in bleach? I bet if we dipped him in bleach, we could get his skin to turn white. Or if we just scrubbed him hard enough, I, I'm sure we could get his skin to return to its, to its normal color. Well, the doctor would have said, no, 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 you don't understand. There's only one way to cure jaundice. You're skeptical because it sounds too easy. Maybe we could have said, well, you know, doctor, I don't like this, this one way to cure jaundice thing. Well, what if we just ignore it and pretend that everything's okay? Well, just pretend that, that his skin's supposed to be yellow. In the end, wouldn't that be better? And the doctor would explain, listen, this is the only way to cure it. I know it sounds too easy, but, but look at my credentials. Look at my degrees on the wall. Look, look at my experience. I have cured countless babies of jaundice. You can trust me based on my credentials. Now, would anybody accuse us of being narrow-minded or intolerant if we chose to go with that one cure? No. The doctor had the credentials, the credibility. There, there's one way to cure the baby. 
Would it be narrow-minded of us to pursue that course of treatment if it were the only way to cure the baby? No. In fact, if we didn't, we could, and if, if we didn't pursue that, that, that one way, we'd probably get in trouble with, with child services. And the truth is, we all have a terminal illness called sin. And Jesus Christ is the cure. And we can try to scrub our sins away with good deeds, but it's not going to work. We can try to ignore the problem and hope that it goes away, but it's not going to disappear. We can sincerely think that there's another way to deal with this, but we would be sincerely wrong. The truth of the matter is only Jesus can erase the stain of our sin. And it's not intolerant to act on this one choice. Jesus said in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. If that's true, then Jesus saying I am the only way is not prejudice or intolerant. It's not narrow-minded or arrogant. It is the most loving thing he could have said. To say that Jesus is the only way might seem it might seem intolerant, but a lot of people would say that it's also arrogant. But listen, it's not arrogant, and here's why. It's not based on anything we've done. Now, if there were a bunch of Christians saying the road we're on is the only way to heaven, and it's because of what we've done, that would be arrogant. But it's not based on what we've done. It's based on what Christ has done for us. But dear Abby, in one of her columns, she expressed the way many people feel. She wrote, the height of arrogance is to attempt to show people the errors in the religion of their choice. And while Christianity is usually singled out for this, realistically, every religion says that their truth is the only truth. But for Christians, it's not arrogant because our confidence is in what Christ has done for us. Romans 3, verses 23 through 25 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That word atonement answers why Jesus is the only way. He is the only one who could have paid for our sins. Our sins separated us from God, but Jesus' perfect sacrifice paid the penalty, and now we have been redeemed. We have been made right with God. Now think about this. If there was some other way, then wouldn't God be the ultimate fool for sending his son Jesus to die here on earth and go through all this suffering on the cross? Trust me, if there were some other way, God would have taken that path. But there was no other way. In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. He knows that there's just a few hours left until he's going to die, and this is what he prays to God. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. But it wasn't possible. There was no other way. 
And so our faith isn't arrogant because it's based on what Christ has done for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, so that no one can be prideful or arrogant. Well, lastly, Christianity is not exclusive to say that Jesus is the only way. And here's why. Because it's available to everyone. Uh, J. Herbert Cain said, it is safe to say the most offensive aspect of modern Christianity is its exclusiveness. The idea that we're right and everybody else is wrong. But don't confuse the church with a country club. Christianity welcomes anyone and everyone who accepts this gift. It's available to everyone. So, imagine this scenario with me, okay? Imagine that there's a giant meteor heading for the eastern United States. And scientists predict that anybody who's living east of the Mississippi is in the meteor's path. And that if you don't relocate, then you are threatened to be wiped off the face of the earth. And so the government says that, the, that you're going to have to either relocate west of the Mississippi or move to another country. And the government announces that in order for there to be adequate housing and infrastructure, that they've developed this criteria for who's eligible to relocate and who isn't. And so they say, hey, to be able to relocate and essentially to be able to survive, anybody with a criminal record, sorry, you're off the list. Or what if they said anybody who's on welfare, you're not a candidate either. Or any individual with special needs, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to relocate. Whether or not you're allowed to relocate is based on who you are and what you've contributed to society. So some people would be saved, others would die, it would just depend. Now, would we stand for that? Absolutely not. Why? Because when it comes to matters of life and death, you can't discriminate. And Christianity doesn't. It is available to anyone who receives this gift. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Well, as I conclude, maybe the question some of you are asking is this. Isn't God unfair and providing only one way? I guess I understand the thinking, but... But maybe it's not the right question to ask. Uh, Track with me for just a minute. The right question is not, why is there only one way? But maybe the right question to ask is, why did God provide any way at all? Uh, Let's imagine that the President of the United States, and depending on which President you like, imagine whoever you like is in office, okay? The President of the United States calls you, and he invites you to a special dinner at the White House. And of course, you're very honored by this. You're honored by the invitation, you thank the president, and then you say, uh, yeah, can I get some directions? I'm not really sure exactly how to get there. And the president says, yeah, sure, no problem, I'll get you directions, let me put you on the phone with my secretary, and and she'll get you directions. And you say, great, I'll, I'll talk to your secretary. And the secretary's giving you directions, and finally she says, okay, then you get on Pennsylvania Avenue, and it's the first house on the right, it's the big white one, okay? And you tell the secretary that you don't really like her directions. 
You tell her, you're going to try to find some other way because you really don't want to go down a road called Pennsylvania Avenue. You just have this weird thing with that name, and, and you're, not, you're not down for this. And the secretary says, I'm sorry that there's really no other way. The only way to get to the White House is to take Pennsylvania Avenue. And you say, well, that seems pretty intolerant. Who are you to say that I can't take some other way to get to the White House? And you're upset, and so she puts the president back on, and, and you talk to him about how this is unfair and how this isn't right and how he should provide more than one way to get to this party that he's hosting. And finally, the president says, that's the only way to get here. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you don't like the directions. I was hoping you'd just be honored to get an invitation. And maybe that's the best attitude. Maybe instead of complaining about the best directions or that there's only one road to get there, maybe we should just be really grateful that God made a way and that he's invited us to come down the path. Every Sunday when we come together, we pause for what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And this is really a chance for us to reflect and to show Jesus that we're honored, we're grateful that he has made a way for us. It's a chance for us to spend time with the living God and humble gratitude. And so what I'd love for us to do right now is just to spend a few moments to ourselves thanking Jesus for being the way for us to get to God. We celebrate that. We, we rejoice in that. Thank you, Jesus, for being the way, the truth, and the life. So let's spend some time in silent reflection, and when you feel led, you can take the bread representing the body of Jesus, and you can drink the cup representing his blood. Let's spend some time in silence together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to be the way, the truth, 
in the life. Thank you for making a way that we can have the forgiveness of sins, that we can have life eternal, that we can be who you created us to be from the very beginning in relationship and community with you. God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that our trust, our belief in Jesus would be stronger today when we leave than when we came in. And God, I pray for any person who needs to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray if there's anybody who's never accepted Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their life, I pray today they would believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They would give their life to Christ. They'd be willing to be made new, their sins washed away. God, if there's anyone who needs to make that decision, God, would you give them the the courage and boldness to, to step forward and walk down the aisle in just a minute? Talk with me, talk with one of our ministers. Tell them, I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody in here who's ready to make Bachelor Creek their church home, God, I pray you'd give them the the courage to make that decision. God, if there's anybody who's been, been wandering away, maybe they've been taking the wrong path and they're ready to come back on the right path, I pray that, that they would do that today. They would come back to you like that parable of the prodigal son running home. God, help them to know that as as they turn back to you, you run towards them with open arms and a warm embrace. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.